Well, this weekend we're beginning a five-week series of messages that will elevate and advance what we consider to be the enduring values of Crossroads Christian Church. Our 17 pastors and 17 elders each had retreats early this year to revisit and to pray about our mission statement and our core values as a church. And what we found is that we are more committed than ever to being a great commandment, great commission church. Great commandment church, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And a great commission church, go and make disciples of all nations. So these messages for five weeks in a row have been planned to amplify the priorities that our leaders here at Crossroads would take a bullet to preserve. And by the end of this sermon series, we should all have a deeper appreciation for the spiritual DNA of our church and a stronger resolve to contribute to its health and growth. And you see the backdrop on the stage up here. This is not tic-tac-toe, friends. This is serious football stuff. Now, last night, I didn't have this football down here in the pulpit, but I brought it in for the three services this morning. And it just happens to be the conference trophy of my senior year in high school when we were 9-0, the East Central Conference Championship Trophy. Um, Kind of a… kind of symbol of glory days gone by. (laughs) But I want to be sure that you get the message that this is the Crossroads playbook. Now, playbook for players in football is a strategy to win. And so our Crossroads playbook is our strategy to win. And this weekend we begin by spotlighting our devotion to raising up trustworthy leadership for the next generation. And you can actually help us with that. Today we're asking our Crossroads members to affirm the recommendation by our elders to call two new pastors. And their pictures and their brief bios are there in the pews, and I want to ask you, if you will, at this time, if you're on the end, to locate those and pass them down the way. If you need to get up and move, feel free to do that to lay your hands on one of these sheets. Here are the two pastors our elders are recommending. The first is Patrick Garcia. You will see him there with his family. He was a guest preacher at Crossroads the last weekend of calendar year 2012. And we anticipate calling Patrick as our evangelism pastor. Now, I have watched this young man grow up the last few years. His father, Dr. Dan Garcia, is a personal friend, and I know that family well from the Southeast Church in Louisville. And Patrick was also Kyle's preaching uh, ministry intern at the Southeast Church. So here you see Patrick with his wife, Savannah, and their little boy, John Ryman. And Savannah is expecting their second child in July. They're going to have a little girl. And we anticipate that uh, if his calling is affirmed by our congregation, that he will be with us effective May the 1st. Now, the second picture up here is Cy Huffer. He's more familiar to us, having served the past year as a ministry intern here at Crossroads. And Cy would become our young adults pastor effective late this spring. 
Now, I have known Sai's family for years. They're from Muskogee, Oklahoma. I know his grandfather quite well, faithful elder in the church there for many years. And Sai, like Patrick, has a very strong spiritual heritage. And both of these guys have married over their heads. And you'll see um, uh, Sai there with uh, his wife, Monica. Both are graduates of Ozark Christian College. Now, these two pastoral additions will fill the vacancies that were created by Eric Cummings' transition to becoming the executive director of Community One. Now, Community One, as Todd mentioned, is a vision initiative from our church in the community that was launched in 2012. And some of you are hearing for the first time that Tim Maxson, our young adults pastor, is transitioning, and he is going to be one of our missionary partners in Tunisia, North Africa, and Tim is down here, and I want to ask him to come up for just a minute so you get a good look at Tim, and we have both a clean-shaven version of Tim, and we have the brother of the brush version of Tim. Uh, Tim has been our young adults pastor, and uh, he and his wife Amy came to us from uh, China. They were missionaries in China. Tim was called back to the United States when his parents were both killed in an automobile accident. And when Tim came back to the States, so we speared him and uh, talked him into working with us here. We knew and we know that Tim has a missionary heart. And um, we thought from the beginning that the only way we would let him get away from us is if he went back to the foreign mission field. And that's what God is calling him to do. So he and his wife, Amy, and their children will be preparing and uh, we look forward to, in a few months, having Tim and his family back up on this platform in a commissioning service as we send them to Tunisia to be our missionary partners in North Africa. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. So if you would, just now indicate your support of the recommendation by our elders and uh, tear off and return your ballot to our ushers. There'll be two ushers at each one of these doors at the close of the service, and they will take your ballots at that time. And just now, let me, uh, let me lift up a prayer. Uh, thanks to God for these trustworthy leaders that He has brought into our orbit here at Crossroads. Pray with me, please. Father, how we do thank You for our missionary partners who are not with us today scattered all over the world, but Lord, they are a part of what we are doing here, and we are linked with them, and we pray a blessing on them wherever they are today. Lord, we thank you for our pastors in this church, and our elders, and our teachers, and our small group leaders, and our youth coaches, and our children's workers, and our worship leaders. Lord, you have just blessed us with an incredible crew of people whose hearts beat as one for your kingdom to be built in this place, the loving reign of Jesus Christ to be extended to our community and around the world. And so we thank you for the opportunity to add to our leadership and to send out our leadership and to just make a difference for the cause of our Lord, whom we love and serve, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, it is critically important that Crossroads be a well-led church, both now and into the future. And whether we are well-led depends on the level of trust that is extended to our leaders by our church body 
But trust can only be extended when trust is earned. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, so then, people ought to regard us as servants of Christ and uh, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul is saying that servant leaders in the church of Jesus Christ must be worthy of trust. And even the secular world agrees that trust is important for effective leadership. Look at this quote from Dr. James O'Toole. He is the professor of leadership studies at the University of Southern California. He said, the greatest power source of influence available to a leader is the trust that is extended from faithful followers. And here's the thing, establishing and maintaining trust is entirely dependent on character. Howard Hendricks said that the greatest crisis in America today is a crisis of leadership. And the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. In fact, if you look at the two passages in the New Testament that spell out the requirements for church leadership, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, you're going to find out that all of the character traits except one has to do with character. And that one is being able to to teach. That's the only one that has to do with ability or giftedness. All the others have to do with character. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, that is an elder, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of trust. They must first be tested, and if there is nothing against them, let them serve. Titus chapter 1 verse 7, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. I want you to notice this reoccurring connection between character and trust and leadership. It leads me to say this, the currency of leadership is trust, and the basis of trust is character. Now the gold standard for raising up trustworthy next generation leadership is the Apostle Paul and young Timothy. Timothy was the offspring of a mixed marriage. His mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. It's likely that his father either died or had abandoned the family because we knew, we know from Scripture that Timothy grew up under the godly influence of his mother and grandmother. He became a Christian during one of Paul's missionary trips to his hometown. And Paul later refers to Timothy as my son in the faith. And later, Paul invited Timothy to join his mission team. And for several years, Timothy traveled with Paul and his co-workers, sometimes serving as a scribe, writing the letters that became our New Testament as Paul dictated them to the growing young churches. And Timothy became Paul's go-to guy. Paul sent Timothy to handle some of the more difficult pastoral situations, and we know that two of Paul's letters bear Timothy's name. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul offers some commentary on Timothy, 
He commends Timothy, and his commendation reveals the traits that we want to see in our next generation leaders that are called to serve or that are raised up here at Crossroads. And here's the thing. We may lead at different levels, but every one of us as Christ followers is a leader. That is, we are an influencer. So in any context where you have contact with other people, your neighborhood, your own family, the workplace, your school, you are a Christian leader. You are a, a Christian influencer of others. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. This is our anchor text this morning. Paul writes to the Philippian Christians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So what are the revealed qualifications in this passage that can help all of us be trustworthy Christian leaders for the next generation? Well, the first thing we learn is that a trustworthy leader has a positive attitude. In verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now, Paul knew that he could count on Timothy for a good report. Notice the word cheered in the text there. A good report about the church in Philippi would bring Paul joy, and he anticipated that. And words, words can do that like nothing else. Words have the power to encourage or discourage. Words have the power to blast or to bless. And the words of a leader must reveal a positive attitude. There are so many naysayers, so many crepe hangers, so many doomsdayers out there, but leaders who cheer hearts and help people to see possibilities are in short supply. And I'm not talking here about the pie-in-the-sky dreamers who deny reality. I'm talking about the faith in the Lord visionaries who have confidence in the agenda of the Heavenly Father to work all things together for our good. Paul modeled this. And when he wrote Philippians, he was confined in prison. He was faith, facing death, and yet he writes a letter that's loaded with expressions of joy and admonitions to his readers to be joyful. Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's going on inside someone, you listen to them talk for a while. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a recognized leader should be an encourager should be a cheerleader, a promoter of what edifies others. That's what we need. We need leaders who will cheer us with their good reports of what God is doing in the lives of people. We need people who will tell the good stories. They will tell the God stories that build up, not tear down. 
one of the things we did at our recent pastor's retreat was to come up with a profile of an effective crossroads pastor and there were 10 items on that list and item number 10 is has a healthy sense of humor now the reason is because a healthy sense of humor is evidence of a positive attitude we want to lead people we want to be all of us want to be led by people who take the Lord and his mission in this world and in this generation seriously but not take themselves too seriously well what else here positive attitude here's something else a trustworthy leader has a selfless heart verse 20 verse 21 Paul says I have no one else like him Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests not those of Jesus Christ. Now, these words reveal a sad commentary that there are too many professed leaders who are more interested in promoting themselves, their own interests, and their own priorities instead of the interests and priorities of the Lord. Sad but true. So beware. Beware of leaders that resist accountability or leaders who are not easily corrected not easily confronted. Beware of leaders who are always right, who always have to have their own way. Beware of leaders who operate with a double standard. They've got one for themselves and one for everybody else. And be appreciative of leaders who embrace accountability, who listen to criticism as well as compliments. Be appreciative of leaders who are humble and compassionate and sensitive. And be appreciative of leaders who do not set themselves over or do not set themselves apart from others with an attitude of entitlement. And right now there's a part of me that wants to shout out the names of some well-known leaders in the political and spiritual worlds in the business and sports and entertainment world, some of whom are worthy of trust and others who should be starved out. Now, since I just made the point that trustworthy leaders have positive attitudes, I'm going to resist doing that. <laughs> With one exception. I am so glad to see some consequences at Rutgers University this week for the flagrant abuse of leadership by their basketball coach for too long. For too long. Coaches at all levels have been given a pass for their temper tantrums, for their physical acting out, for their abusive and profane language directed at student-athletes. And I've been ready for a new standard of behavior for coaches for a long time. So what do you say? Let's stop overpaying them and let's start insisting on self-control from them. Personally, personally, I'd much much rather have my kids playing for a John Wooden or a Tony Dungy rather than a Bob Knight or a Woody Hayes of the coaching world. 
All this to say, we are to measure leadership against the words found in the second chapter of Philippians, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so you don't see these little league boys as a means to stroke your diminishing manhood by winning every game. And you don't see these teenage athletes in high school and junior high as being people you can manipulate and abuse to advance your agenda. You see the people. You care about the people. You have a selfless heart. And listen, a selfless heart is not a feminine trait. Being selfless at the core, that's a manly characteristic. Well, as most of you know, all three of our adult children are vocational Christian leaders. Our daughter, Carissa, serves her church in the area of children's ministry. Our son, Kyle, is a teaching pastor and an author. And our daughter, Camille, serves with City on a Hill Productions. All three children have this selfless heart that trustworthy leaders must possess, and I can tell you exactly where they got it. On our 25th anniversary, our children presented us with rings, and the rings had an inscription on the inside of the band of what they admired most in us as their parents, and their mother's ring is inscribed with these two words, selfless love. I consider selfless love to be the very same thing as a selfless heart. Folks, it's tough to pull off in this narcissistic age in which we live when everything we read or see or hear seems to be pushing us towards self-interest, towards self-actualization, self-projection. But I'm telling you, if you want to be a trustworthy leader in your own family, in your circle of friends, in your workplace, in your school, in our church, you got to yield to the Holy Spirit and discipline yourself to daily cultivate this selfless heart. It's actually what's involved in taking up your cross daily. And it's a rare and beautiful thing. And Paul said that he didn't know anyone like Timothy. He didn't have anyone like Timothy who was so genuinely concerned about what? The welfare of others. May the same thing be said of every one of us. And at this point, I want to recognize one of our couples that have this selfless heart here at Crossroads. Now, please, they are, this couple is representative of many, many others. But Atlas and Sandy Hinton, do you realize they celebrated their 44th anniversary just this past Friday night? And do you know where they celebrated? <laughs> they celebrated their 44th anniversary at the Evansville Rescue Mission a ministry to which they have given their hearts along with several of our Crossroads folks. So it leads me to want to ask you this morning, do you have any expression of a selfless heart for others that is presently showing itself in your life? Well, finally, Paul reveals that a trustworthy leader has a 
servant spirit. All of these have to do with character. Verse 22, he says, you know Timothy's proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. And the word Paul uses here for serve is the vocabulary of slavery. So Timothy, you see, is not a leader who serves from a position of superiority or self-esteem. He slaved for others. He was their servant. And that's the best kind of leader. Good leaders are willing to get their hands dirty. No job is too small or obscure. If someone needs something done, a trustworthy leader is the kind of person that steps up to do it. My maternal grandfather is a man named Conde Collins. He was a prominent figure in our little community of St. Joseph, Illinois, and he was a respected elder in my home church. I have vivid memories of my grandfather's prayers at the Lord's table, and I, I watched him week after week distribute the emblems of communion to our servers. He's a quiet man. I don't remember ever having a conversation with him. He was a humble man about whom people said he would do anything for anyone. When our town had a crisis with the sewer system, it was my grandfather who crawled through the conduit and worked for hours to dislodge the blockage. He was a trustee for the village. He considered it his duty. No payment required. He stepped up and volunteered. No one else wanted anything to do with that one. My grandfather was a farmer, a man of modest means. But he gave $500 and hundreds of volunteer hours to construct a church building for an African-American congregation in Champaign, Illinois, shortly after the Depression. To be his grandson was and is such an honor. And I believe I have servanthood in my spiritual DNA thanks to Conda Collins. He died when I was just 16, but his legacy endures. Trustworthy leaders don't need a spotlight. They can work and serve in obscurity. They don't require credit or acclaim. Now, obviously, those of us who are being served, we should express our appreciation and our gratitude, but a trustworthy leader just keeps going even when he's unthanked, even if he's disrespected. Because a slave has no rights. A slave has no claim on fairness or justice. His job is to serve, and good leaders are slaves to Jesus Christ and his church. And as a servant of the Lord, as servants of the Lord, we recognize the wisdom of this. Psalm 123, verse 2. It's a beautiful verse. Take a look. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul gives us the ethic that we have as servants of Jesus. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And as servants of the church, we recognize the mandate to respect and honor those we lead. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. 
And I'm telling you, friends, there's no way that a trustworthy, servant-spirited leader would undermine other church leaders or embezzle church funds or pilfer tithes and offerings or deliberately split a church or seduce a counselee or lie and manipulate or verbally or physically abuse someone or you fill in the blank. Why not? Because these behaviors represent evidence of a character deficit and a deficit of character results in the loss of trust and when trust is lost, so is leadership. Your character is the very definition of who you are as a person. Without character, you have nothing of value. And with character, you have everything that matters most. Friends, the reason for the leadership crisis in our generation is that character is dying. Howard Hendricks was right. Dr. James Hunter in his book, The Politics of Character, says that it's apparent that we as a society don't really want character. We say we do, but look at his words. We say we want a renewal of character in our day, but the price is too high for us to pay. We want character, but without unyielding conviction. We want strong morality, but without the emotional burden of guilt or shame. We want good without having to name evil. We want decency without the authority to insist on it. We want moral community without any limitations to personal freedom. In short, he said, we want what we cannot possibly have on the terms that we want it. So today as a church, we reaffirm our commitment to calling, to raising up trustworthy Christian leaders from the youngest to the oldest, from our elementary kids to our senior adults for the next generation in this ministry, people whose lives are marked by character that shows itself in a positive attitude, in a selfless heart, in a servant spirit. And as we close this morning, if you're ready to begin this journey of faith and spiritual leadership development in your life, we are ready to receive you here at the front. And if you want to identify with a church that's been led by the kind of people that are represented by Timothy in this passage, we invite you to come while we stand and worship together.